So this morning we have Aaron McKeithen, one of our deacons at the church, who is going to come and share God's word with us. At this church, we're very passionate about partnering the, the word of the gospel with the deed of the gospel, recognizing that the two go hand in hand. This, of course, is nothing other than what Jesus Christ himself did when he walked upon this earth, preaching the good news and uh, performing miraculous wonders to attest to the truth of the words that he spoke. And so we believe that a church should be known not only for its word, but also for its, for its deeds, for its acts of, of mercy and love. Here in McLean, we have tried to get our arms around this concept in recent months through our ministry at Greater DC, which is our attempt to mobilize mercy ministry from within our congregation uh, to uh, reach those who are hurting in, in our own communities and in our own neighborhoods. Now, Aaron has really been the uh, mastermind and chief cheerleader uh, of these efforts, and so it's great for him to come and share with us. Uh, from a section in Ephesians and uh, just the word that the Lord has put in his heart this morning. So Aaron, welcome and come share with us, brother. Good morning. morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. You can find this in your Pew Bible on page 976. Ephesians 2, chapter 4. Sorry, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning I want to start by offering to you some personal advice, and that is this. If our senior minister, James Forsyth, sends you a text message, be sure that you read the text message fully and comprehend its meaning before you reply. Because if you don't, you might find later that you've agreed to preach the Thanksgiving homily. (laughs) This morning I want to share four reasons why I'm thankful and four reasons why we can be thankful. But first, I want to tell you a story uh, from 15 years ago. So, 15 years ago, in 1998, the summer of 1998, I was in a very large city in China called Chengdu. Anyone ever heard of Chengdu? Chengdu is the fourth largest city in China. It's several times larger than uh, Chicago. It's a very big place. I'd never heard of it before I went. And I was there studying at a business school along with some other American college students, and we 
took classes, tried to learn a little bit of Mandarin, and uh, ate a lot of good food. This was in the Sichuan province, so it was a hot place, lots of hot food. Um, and we, get to know, we got to know a bunch of, of students. In, in fact, because we could speak English, and I specialize in Southern-style English, um, a lot of Chinese students uh, became fast friends with us because they wanted to practice their English. They were studying business, and they wanted to find a way to learn uh, to speak English so they could come uh, to an English-speaking place. And one Chinese student named William was uh, right at my side the very first moment I walked on campus because he wanted to speak English, very eager, um, and we got to be buds. Uh, for several weeks, he took me to restaurants, he took me around. Uh, we got to sort of tried to communicate with each other, although I have z- almost zero Mandarin and he has almost zero English, much less Southern English. And so um, it was a little bit challenging, but about a week ago before uh, I had to leave and go back to America, uh, uh, William, this is his English name, William asked me, Aaron, why do Americans talk about Jesus so much? What's the deal with Jesus? And so I thought, great, this is, I'm ready for this. Um, I, can, I can handle this question. So I immediately started talking about God, the creator, and the fall of man, and Jesus, and Jesus' uh, death on my behalf, and his resurrection, and all the other kinds of core elements of Christianity. And the problem was William got about 0% of what I was describing. It was, it was a total lost in translation mess. I mean, it was an hour and a half of, huh? He just didn't, he didn't get it. And I was probably uh, communicating it poorly. So I decided to try a different tactic. I called an audible and said, forget everything I've said, William. Now, we were in a very big city, lots of traffic, lots of noise from that traffic, very few mufflers on cars. And so I just sort of came up with this story. I have no idea where it came from. I may have read it somewhere or I don't know. But I said, forget everything I've said, William. Imagine uh, that I'm standing on a street here in Chengdu, and I'm about to cross the street, and I take steps into the street, but little do I know, there's this giant bus, city bus, careening around the corner, uh, headed uh, toward the path where I was walking. And meanwhile, across the street, there was a man who just happened to be walking toward me, and that man looks and sees this bus coming, and he sees me coming And he can see that the intersection of our paths is going to result in something bad happening. So this man, without saying anything, just steps out into the street and pushes me back away from the bus, saving me from getting me out of the way of the bus. But this man stood there right in the bus and, and in fact, took on the impact of the bus and died. Now, this is a story, this was, I explained to William, this is sort of a rough approximation for my testimony of life. This is uh, this kind of works, right? I, I explained that uh, the bus represented sin, and this man across the street, this kind person, uh, represented Jesus. Jesus uh, took on uh, the, the the death that was really my death, spared me from it, and I was pretty proud. Why? Because this was again a rough approximation of my basic theology at the time. And because William, after an hour and a half of of mystery, not understanding anything I was saying, finally seemed to sort of understand the mechanics of this. And so uh, 
you know, we talked about it a little bit more. We actually drew little pictures in his notebook of a bus and the intersection. And I said, this is like Jesus. This is like Jesus. And so um, I left China very happy that, um, that I was single-handedly going to lead a revival in this, in this city uh, because I had come up with this brilliant story and that William was going to go on and, uh, you know, get it all. And in the 15 years since then, uh, I've learned that there's some pretty big flaws in that story. No analogy is perfect, right? Uh, it was just an analogy. No analogy is perfect or it would be the thing itself. There's no, the only perfect analogy is the thing itself. So it's not a perfect analogy, and that's okay. But there's some big problems with that story. And as I think about what I'm thankful for this year, I think back to the problems of that story. So let me tell you what they are. And many of you have already probably picked up on some of these problems. If the bus story is designed to be a depiction of my Christian life, uh, then the first problem with the bus story is its subject. The bus story begins with, once upon a time, me. Once upon a time, I was walking across the street. But we know that our own, our own story has vastly more meaning and impact and, and, and relevance when it is understood to be a subplot of God's larger story that begins with, in the beginning, God. It doesn't mean that our own personal conversion stories aren't compelling and interesting and useful in their own right. But it just means that our own Christian testimony is really a testimony of God and his work. So the first problem with the bus story was its misplaced subject. If I'm trying to use this to illustrate what the gospel means, it probably shouldn't start with me. Second, the second problem with the bus story is that it it portrays Jesus' love as improvisational. Jesus here, depicted by the man walking across the street who spared me from the impact of the bus, is just there sort of coincidentally. He just happens to be there. It's it's my fortune and perhaps his misfortune. I'm in the right place at the right time. He's in the wrong place at the right time to be spared from this. But we know that this is not a valid image of Jesus and his love. Jesus, uh, Jesus' intervention into our life is not accidental or coincidental. He didn't just swoop in in a moment of our agony or, or, or danger. Uh, we see in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This, this wasn't accidental. Jesus doesn't just swoop in and pay attention when something bad happens. He knew us. And he knew our flaws. And he knew our problems. And he knew our doubts. And he knew our anxieties. And he loved us anyway. His love is not improvisational. It is purposeful and deliberate and personal. The third problem with the bus story is that, and this is the one that really has been uh, subject to some real trials in my past 15 years to get this. But the the, the third problem with the bus story is that the bus story depicts the threat of sin as sort of this hypothetical threat. You see, I I was uh, walking in the street. This bus didn't actually hit me. It was just sort of a a potential threat. It was a hypothetical threat. I was alive before the bus came, and I was certainly alive after the bus killed this man in my place. We see uh, in the Bible that we were already dead to sin. This is an inadequate image precisely because death had already consumed us. If you look back... At this morning's scripture reading, God, who is rich in mercy, 
Because the great love through which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together in Christ. So we can see that Jesus didn't save us from the hypothetical threat of sin. He saved us after we were already spiritually dead. And if I'm forcing you to keep thinking about this bus story, we were already flattened by the bus representing sin. If we recognize ourselves, apart from Christ, as in a state of spiritual death, well then now we can start to see the beauty and the magnitude of what Christ has done for us. So that's the third problem. The fourth problem with the bus story is its ending. It ends with this man depicting Jesus dying in my place and me uh, going on living. And this is also an inadequate image because we know that our story doesn't end with Jesus' death. Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death. This is a pivotal historical event in space and in time that changes us. The story doesn't end with death winning. Death was defeated. If the resurrection had not occurred, the light that entered the world would have been snuffed out and forgotten. But that is not our Christian experience. The resurrection changes us and brings us a source of living hope. I was reading uh, in the book of Job recently, for some reason, uh, not that I'm suffering in the way he does, but there's just something really sobering about that book. Um, as you know, Job uh, was a godly uh, man who loved the Lord and was righteous, a good person. Uh, but he faced all sorts of trials in his life, all at a very quick point in time. It all, all happened kind of at once. His family, his children were killed, his property was taken or destroyed, his health uh, deteriorated, deteriorated very rapidly. And much of the story of Job is a story of his anguish and his uh, frustration about his present circumstances and asking himself and friends that he was, they were counseling him, what do I do now? When you get to chapter 17 of Job, he asked, uh, he asked this question, where then is my hope? But fortunately, Job, uh, just two chapters later, answers his own question. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last day, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God. If Job, who who can't read the word of God and see the resurrection, he can't understand what actually happened, but looks forward in faith to this future Redeemer, can derive hope despite his circumstances, how much more can we derive hope from the resurrection? The resurrection points us to a future in the very presence of God. That's why we have hope. For the believer in Jesus, the resurrection brings a real and lasting hope for our future despite our trials. So any story, any depiction of our Christian life that ends with Jesus' death is just inadequate. Because it it ends before the main event of Jesus' resurrection. So now, those are the four big flaws. Um, Learning those... Uh, as you can understand as believers yourselves, learning those four flaws um, is hard won. It's, uh, the, the work of sanctification is slow and really sometimes 
painfully slow. And yet, I look back in that story uh, and, and have a lot to be thankful for, seeing the difference between what I was believing then and what I uh, have come to believe today. So why am I talking about this story now? Why are we talking about the bus? This was a 15-year-old story on a different continent. And by the way, I've never seen William again. Still waiting on that revival to happen as a result of my story. Um, I'm telling this story because, really for two reasons. Uh, Because the stories that we tell about our beliefs uh, can help us understand the objects of our thanksgiving. They can help us understand what we really believe and the objects of our thanksgiving. And they can also, uh, the stories we tell also have real practical meaning. So it isn't just a story I told. This story, I was satisfied with the story uh, that I told about the bus to William 15 years ago precisely because it was this story that I really believed. I, this is it. I didn't think of these flaws in the story. Uh, this was basically a working definition of my faith. I didn't yet get all those flaws. And the practical consequence of that is that I, looking back, was very full of myself. I was very focused on myself, on my own future, on my own concerns. I was very focused on right living. I was focused on morality. I was really focused on that, morality. And I was really callous toward those who didn't live uh, uh, obsessed with those same things. And I was certainly calloused to the poor. Why? Uh, why could I care about the poor when I look at them and think most of their problems are self-created? They're just not making good decisions like I am. Their circumstances are bad, yes, but they've just made a mess of their lives. They've made bad decisions. I was callous to the poor precisely because I hadn't yet contemplated my own poverty uh, apart from Christ. And I was a person lacking hope, looking back on it. Uh, All that anxiety was because I didn't really have much to hope in. I had little passion for evangelism or missions. In fact, to be honest, a lot of those things were kind of embarrassing to me. Evangelism, it's it's a little weird um, uh, to do that. And missions, don't we have enough churches? You know, that was sort of my thing. I was a Christian, but I, I didn't derive much hope from those things. So this morning, I want to ask you to think about, amid the cranberry sauce and the football games, to to ask yourself about the stories that you tell. What are the stories that you tell? What are your bus stories? What do they mean, and how have they changed over time? And what does that mean about your beliefs, and what does that mean about the sources of your thanksgiving? Whatever your answer is, uh, the inverse of the problems with the bus story can give us real hope and thanksgiving. Uh, now. We can be thankful that all recipients of God's saving grace have a testimony that in which God is the subject and Jesus is the hero and the plot is God's glory. And it, what, a, what a joy it is to be part of, of his story. Secondly, we can be thankful that Jesus' love is purposeful and personal not improvisational or random. Third, we can be thankful that Jesus loves us because Jesus loves us. He loved us when we were unlovable, which frees us. We really believe that. If we truly believe that, then we can believe that Christ's righteousness, not our own, is the source of our strength. And we can love the poor 
Why? Because God, who was rich in mercy, became poor so that through his poverty we would be rich. It's a very different experience of encountering the poor. And that's what Greater DC is about, by the way. It's not about guilt. It's not about, we, you should do more. You're too rich. You should help the people who need it. That's, not, that's exactly the opposite of the spirit of our church's effort uh, with the poor. And finally, uh, we can be thankful for the hope that is found in the fact that our story does not end with Jesus' death. Because of his resurrection and equipped by his spirit, we can join in his work of building a new heaven and a new earth here. A new country, the same new country that Job was looking for as a source of his hope. Not out of duty or guilt, but as a response to God's purposeful and surprising and yet complete and secure love for us. We have much to be thankful for this year. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you take us beyond the cranberry sauce and the football games and the pitter-patter of people in the house and our worry about whether the casserole is going to be overdone? And Lord, just give us a, a moment to reflect today in this hour on the true sources of our thanksgiving, on the ways in which you've blessed us, on the ways in which you've loved us despite our unworthiness, despite our sin. Would you give us, Lord, a new sense of hope that comes from the living Christ? Thanks be to God. Amen.